Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. Oh, Brian, what have you done now? Oh, Brian, what have you done now? This is Back to the Future, the podcast. Presented, presented by the Brad Show. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, they're gonna see some serious shit. Are you telling me that you built a time machine? 1.21 gigawatts. Come back with me. Where? Back to the future. And welcome to Back to the Future, the podcast, the only podcast looking back in time at the greatest film trilogy of all time, Back to the Future. I'm your friend in time, Brad Gilmore, and on today's episode, we have a very special guest. His name is Cassine Gaines. Cassine is the author of the upcoming We Don't Need Roads, the making of the Back to the Future trilogy. Cassine Gaines and I actually conducted this interview a few months back. And was my first interview that I did for the Back to the Future retrospective podcast. We had an amazing talk. We uh, had a really, really good discussion about Back to the Future. About its sequels compared to the original. Two and three compared to part one. Um, about the relationship that Doc Brown and Marty McFly have together. And a lot of other things. Including, where would Cassine Gaines have liked to see the f- series go if they did finally do that back to the future part four the ever so elusive back to the future part four so this is the last episode before the season finale of back to the future part uh back to the future the podcast season one coming to a close but don't worry guys we're going to be back soon um we're going to take a short hiatus while i put together season two of back to the future the podcast um which will start off with a preview a kickoff special of Back to the Future Part 2. And we're going to do the same thing we did for Season 1 for Season 2. Continue with special guests, cast interviews, people like Cassine Gaines, people like um, Jason Aaron and Matt Topolsky, and a lot of other people that I will come into contact with while I am working on this retrospective. And after the three uh, movies are over, we will start Seasons 1 and 2 of reviewing... Back to the Future, the animated series. So that'll be coming up very soon. So a lot of great things to look forward to here on Back to the Future, the podcast, such as the aforementioned interview with Cassine Gaines. So without further ado, let's get to the interview with Mr. Cassine Gaines.
Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Brad Gilmore Show on Demand. We're continuing our series looking back at my favorite film trilogy of all time. And right now on the line, I have the author of the upcoming We Don't Need Roads, The Making of the Back to the Future trilogy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Mr. Cassine Gaines. How you doing, man? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you for, for agreeing to be on the show. We have so much to talk about. Back to the Future, you have a book coming out June the 23rd, looking back at this film series. Um, let me ask you this to start off. What was it about Back to the Future that drew you in to where you wanted to write a book about it? You know, uh, Back to the Future has always been one of my favorite films, one of, one of my favorite trilogies, and it's just such an innovative story. I mean, there are so many stories about time travel and about family, but this idea that Bob Zemeckis and Bob Gale had to take a kid and have him go back and have to fix up his parents and threaten his own existence was just so creative that it just stuck with me. I remember uh, being a little kid and playing Ninja Turtles and also playing Back to the Future, actually, like on the playground, like, you know, for friends and I, like, <laughs> you know, running and trying to, like, you know, pretend to get up to 88 miles an hour, like running, you know, across the field or things like that. But um, it's just such a really tight story. It's um, a nice story, this idea that you can sort of affect your own destiny and the future is what you make of it. Um, and then there are just so many iconic things about it, like hoverboards and just things that have kind of stayed in uh, our collective imagination. And Back to the Future never left me. So when it was time for the 30th anniversary, um, I was surprised that there wasn't a book out already that had sort of looked at the cultural impact of these films and the making of these films in a really comprehensive way. And uh, I wanted to change that. So that's how We Don't Need Roads came about. Well, you know, it's interesting you bring up, like, you know, the cultural impact of this film. And you also wrote a couple other books on Pee Wee's Playhouse and The Christmas Story. These films that yeah. a lot of us hold really near and dear to our hearts that were essentially cult classics that became, like, in, in the, uh, the mainstream consciousness um, uh, over time. Now, you, you talk about Back to the Future, and you said it at first. You said, my favorite films, and then you correct – my favorite film, and then you corrected yourself and said film series – I find that a lot of people that I talk to have a strong affinity for the first movie, but not so much parts two and three. Do you feel like that's the same? Do you feel like some people don't don't um, respect those second two films as much as uh, the first one? Yeah, I, I guess that's probably true of any film series. And one thing that um, some people don't realize is that Back to the Future initially wasn't planned to be a trilogy when the first film came out and was such a huge success. Uh, Universal wanted a sequel, and uh, Bob Gale and Bob Zemeckis came up with this idea for a sequel, and it was too long, and they cut it into two films, so it became a you know three film series. But um, you know, I think it's funny because if you ask people, do you like Back to the Future Part Two or Part Three as much as Part One? I think most people would say no. But then if you ask uh, do you like that part where Doc and Marty are running on the train and the train runs off the ravine? Do you like hoverboard? Do you like seeing the alternate version of 1985? I think that people would say, oh, yeah, I love that part. And and it's almost hard, I think, for people to separate their memories of the entire trilogy from the memory of just the first film. But it's sort of become like, uh, you know, 
in vogue to say, I just sort of like the first one most. That's sort of my take on it. But, you know, hoverboarding, obviously, um, is something I keep going back to because, you know, it doesn't, it seems like every month or so there's some, uh, a Kickstarter campaign for, you know, real working hoverboards or there's a, a rumor that working hoverboards exist. Um, that particular element of the film series really has caught on, and that comes from a, the second film that a lot of people claim to not really like as much. Yeah, it is interesting because I remember maybe it was sometime last year, I think Funny or Die put out a video of like um, Christopher Lloyd sh- unveiling to the world the hoverboard, and he had all these like, you know, Wiz Khalifa, and all these guys were there um, unveiling it. And I was so into it, and then at the end, I found out that it was all a joke. Um, but, yeah. But uh, can't, it's 2015, Cassine. We can't have the hoverboard yet. I feel like it's time. <laughs> Now I'm I, so clumsy, I'd probably fall off one. I, mean, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if I'd ever be good on one. <laughs> I can barely ride a scooter, let alone a hoverboard. So, I mean, that would be very interesting <laughs> exactly. to see. Now, I, I spent my January the 1st, my New Year's Day, I, the first movie I put in was Back to the Future 2 because here we are, 2015, 30 years later. When you were watching this series mm-hmm. as, a, as a kid, uh, like we all were, we were, we were just, just blown away by a lot of these things that happened in this movie. Um, 2015, though, we're here now. Um, some things came true, some things didn't. Aside from the hoverboard, what's the one thing do you think now in 2015 that you wish came true from Back to the Future? Ooh, you know, it would be great, uh, this ability to, like, hydrate a pizza. I don't know why. Maybe it's <laughs> lunchtime for me. <laughs> but it was, it was, like, the first thing that popped into my brain, this idea that you can just, you know, put this tiny dish in a microwave and have it pop out a couple seconds later. Um, besides hoverboarding, I mean, you know, I think to an extent, um, how awesome would it be to actually have time travel? I mean, I know that that's, you know, kind of a ridiculous thing to kind of pick, but one of the things that always kind of stuck out to me about Back to the Future was this idea that you could go back and change a moment in your life, um, for better or for worse and kind of the consequences that come out of that. And I think that that's one of the things that, you know, People are fascinated with time travel because there isn't a moment, or I'm sorry, there isn't a person that exists that doesn't wish that they could change something. Just one, you know, maybe not a huge thing, but just something about their life or their existence. And um, I think that's something that we'll probably never get, but um, probably the most coveted thing from the Back to the Future trilogy, I'd guess. Oh, yeah, most definitely. I mean, we would all love to to go back in time and change that one thing you said to that girl one time that made her throw a drink in your face. I know that. I know yeah, that, I especially know. for me. I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I do want to say, though, it's funny because one of the things that it didn't turn up in Back to the Future 2, but it was in the first draft of the script, which actually did come true, is uh, there was a joke in the first draft of the sequel script where Marty hears Huey Lewis in the news playing like around the cafe eighties and he goes to see them and they look exactly the same and they sound the same and they're playing the power of love and it's great. And then he realizes that they're a hologram and they're preserved in the way that they were in the 1980s. They have an age today. And although that joke ended up getting cut, it's kind of crazy to think about we actually have hologram performances now, Tupac and Michael Jackson and left eye, you know, that you, you actually have, that prediction um, that was a creation of Bob Gale and Bob Zemeckis coming true, even though it didn't end up in the film. 
Man, that yeah, that's incredible. I mean, yeah, I was just watching something on the uh, on the news today about the um the, the technology has come so far that we're able to do holograms. They showed the Michael Jackson hologram. They talked about Paul Walker not being able to finish Fast and Furious Seven, and they had his brothers in, and they like uh, CGI'd Paul Walker's face on there. So I mean, it's incredible that you know you can almost be immortalized now with um, the technology we have today. There's so many though memorable characters throughout the Back to the Future trilogy. Obviously, Doc and Marty being the two main characters, but, you know, Lorraine, George, Biff, right. all these guys. Who, Aside from Doc and Marty, who is one of your favorite characters? And I think I probably already know the answer to this, but who is one of your favorite characters, um, supporting characters? Uh, you know, I, I love Biff. You know, I'm a yeah. big canon fan. Um, you know, especially in part two. I mean, part two is really sort of Biff's movie, you know, if you think about it. And... Uh, he's just, I love that, um, somehow he avoids feeling cliche, but he has this great quality about him where he's arrogant and like kind of dumb <laughs> and he's just like, <laughs> huge and like brute, like, you know, it's, it's like, it's all these cliches rolled into one, but his performance is so good. Tom Wilson's performance is so good that it doesn't feel cliche, you know, and he has, you know, just all the the great lines, like, you know, make like a tree and get out of here, you know, just <laughs> your body's useless as a screen a door great, on a battleship. Yeah. 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 It's, 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 they're really good performances. And then, you know, there's like this like secret backstory you can imagine because he like lives with his grandma and he's kind of imagining like what, what life must be like for the tenant. Do you know, um, it, but it, I also like, Go okay, ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, go right ahead. Oh no, I was just saying. It's also it's it's funny. Also, um, one of the things that the Back to the Future trilogy does really well is that there's like this lineage. So like you know you see Marty's son, and Marty's son is you know different than Marty, and Marty's daughter is different than Marty. But like the Tannins are just this long legacy of jerks. You know, yeah. <laughs> there isn't a nice one among them. It's just funny. No, it's interesting, but no, when you're talking about, like, I've thought about that, too. Like, why is Biff living with his grandmother? Where are, it, where are his real parents? You know, what's going yeah. on with Biff? And it's funny because Back to the Future, when you look at it from a writing perspective, it's it's almost screenwriting 101 when you think about it, that everything everything that Bob Gale wrote in the script, it pays off. You know, I mean, you right. almost get that gratification out of everything that is said in the movie, you get the payoff for it. But the one thing that is never explained in the film, and I want to know what your take on it and what your idea is, the one thing that was never explained is Doc and Marty's relationship, how they became to be friends. Um, some people have inferred online that I've read that um, that Doc just had a big guitar amp in his laboratory, and that's why he and Marty were friends. Um, what, what is your idea? Why do you think these two were connected so uh, so tightly together? You know, it's um, it's a funny question, and I know that you know Bob Gale has an answer that he gives, and you know Bob Gale, the authority on Back to the Future. So I certainly, you know, I respect his answer. His answer, I, I believe, is that maybe Doc one day did a presentation at Marty's school, and then it sort of spins into what you were talking about with you know Marty had a, and Doc had an amp, and you know they were able to sort of help each other in that way. But I sort of prefer it, you know, unanswered. You know, in a weird sort of way, it's like you know, Pinky and the Brain was a cartoon when I was growing up. And, you know, what, what made those two uh, join forces? You know, they seemed to have nothing compatible, but they did. And, you know, Peabody and Sherman or Rocky and Bullwinkle, I mean, you know, these great duos um, throughout history, 
are usually kind of founded on um, an incongruous relationship. And it's, it's almost better to have it not explained. And it, it's in a weird sort of way. I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe I, it never really seemed odd to me because, you know, I was always someone when my parents were having conversations with their friends, you know, I would sit down and try and butt in on the conversation. And I always kind of, Thought that even you know when I was eight or something that I could sit at the adult table and, and play a part. So the fact that you know Marty's a teenager and Doc is not, you know, Doc is uh, <laughs> in his forties or fifties or something like that, um, didn't really seem odd to me. I figured that they must have something uh, in common that that connected them, and uh, certainly it, it made for um, a fun adventure. You know, you, you talk about Doc, who to me is 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 my favorite character in the whole film series. I've always been a big fan yeah. of Chris Lloyd, whether it be Adam's family or the page master or uh, clue, the movie I've, I've just always really loved everything that Christopher Lloyd has been in. And I know that you actually got to talk to him um, when you're right. writing this book. How was it talking to doc Emmett L. Brown, Christopher Lloyd and getting his take <laughs> on back to the future? Uh, it's, it's remarkable. And, you know, I, I have to say one of the, the things that your question reminds me of is, you know, when you working on this book was such a great reminder of the fact that they were ordinary people um, doing a job and just trying to do the best that they could. You know, one of my favorite things about Chris Lloyd that I discovered over the course of the book is he was really kind of nervous about doing the sequels. He was nervous. Well, first of all, he was nervous about refilming scenes in part one because as I'm sure you know, they shot for six weeks with Eric Stoltz, and then they let Eric Stoltz go in Marty uh, McFly's role. And then Christopher Lloyd and the rest of the cast and crew had to revisit a lot of material that had already been shot. Um, so he was really nervous about that. He felt like he had given it his all um, with Eric, and then you know now had to reproduce that, uh, that per- performance. But then with uh, parts two and three, he felt like he didn't want to do an imitation of Doc Brown and he wanted to be true to the character, but um, he didn't know, you know, Back to the Future was a huge hit, so he didn't want to disappoint fans and wanted to feel organic. Um, and a lot of that sort of um, was communicated to me through our interview. And I was sort of surprised by that. Um, but it was such a great reminder that as much as, and I love Chris Lloyd and Doc Brown is actually my favorite character too in the trilogy, um, that they're human, you know, and they're people and that it was a job and they were trying to do the best job they could. And just like anyone under those circumstances, there were nerves about certain aspects of doing that job. So that was sort of refreshing for me. You know, it's interesting, you know, because it, it's hard. It's hard. Like you, you say Chris Lloyd didn't want to be almost almost parody himself in in the sequels and you know that that's a problem that a lot of film series tend to have if you look at the james bond movies that as they went right. along they started to parody themselves more than anything and i think back to the future though and chris lloyd especially did a good job of maintaining the um the character that we knew as dr emmett l brown throughout the three film series i mean throughout the three films and that's why i was such a big fan of his and, you know, he said things like, you know, great Scott, 1.21 gigawatts, you know, all these, <laughs> all these, all these things. I wonder, I mean, 
to me, they were just growing up. That was the movie I watched. So it was normal to me to say these things in every day, uh, in my everyday vernacular, but they've, they've just seeped into the overall consciousness of the United States and worldwide. Do you think Doc was the character that more people connected with than anybody? I know Marty McFly and Michael J. Fox is beloved, but did Doc just transcend through the screen at you? And that's why everyone kind of walked away saying, great Scott and 1.21, you know, all this stuff. You think that's the reason? You know, I, um, I do. And I don't think I thought that before I started working on the book, you know, Marty McFly is this iconic character, and I'm sure, you know, being a kid of the 80s, you know, everyone sort of identified a little bit more closely with him. But, you know, one of the one of the secret hard things about writing a book is trying to come up with the title. That's like a, it's, you know, everyone has an opinion on the title. All your friends and family and every, you know, everyone has an opinion on it and feels strongly about their opinion. And uh, I love the title, We Don't Need Roads. And when we were thinking about what the title of this book would be, almost all of the alternate titles that we came up with were inspired by Doc Brown's line. And, you know, sort of realized, it's crazy, as as iconic as Marty McFly is, the more quotable material over the course of the trilogy really is Doc's. Um, and, and Christopher Lloyd just has such great delivery on everything. I mean, he just his, his eyes and his posture and his body language, it's just, it's... um it's great, you know, and that's, I think that's part of the reason why that line where we're going, we don't need roads sticks is not just, you know, the, the import of the line, but also he sells it, you know, you can see the exact moment when he puts down his glasses and, you know, it, yeah. it, 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 it sticks in your brain, you know, in a way. And that's really because he's a fantastic actor and um, really prepared for his role. No, I I completely agree, and, and it's funny when you were just saying that, I started just kind of going through all of the lines in the movie, and you know everything that really, aside from heavy, everything else is yeah. pretty much uh, a Doc Brown uh, creation. Now you talk about writing this book and going through the process. I find it interesting and 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 very very interesting that you were able to compress the making of three films, a trilogy, a beloved trilogy, into a a book. What is the process of writing a book um, based upon content like this? Well, um, it's a challenging thing. And I had the luxury with the first two books that I wrote uh, with of choosing things that had um, a more limited scope. So Inside Peewee's Playhouse touched a little bit on Peewee's Big Adventure and Big Top Peewee, but it was really focused on the kids' show. And A Christmas Story is obviously one film. So with Back to the Future, um, number one, the book is is a little bit longer. It's longer than the other two. Um, But also, it was really important for me to find who the characters were to sort of drive the story. I mean, it sounds sort of like corny and cliche a little bit, but... There's so much out there about the Back to the Future trilogy. The special features on the DVDs and Blu-ray are exhaustive. Um, There's been a lot written about the film over the course of the last 30 years, and it was important for me, if I was going to work on this book, to have something new to say. And what was new was, what was it actually like for Bob Zemeckis to make the decision to let Eric go? 
what was it like for the other actors to continue to work on this film where they had just let the lead actor go? Um, or to get the phone call three or four years later that we're doing a sequel, do you want to come back? Um, so all of those things, I think, kind of drove the story and helped me figure out what was the most important information to include in the book and what were some things that maybe were interesting facts or fun facts, but um, didn't quite make the cut because they weren't as grounded on the decisions that actual people had to make. I don't know if that's making any sense. But, um, you know, it, there's, there's less about um, how they made the DeLorean, I guess, versus um, what it was like for the people putting the DeLorean together and having this deadline and feeling the pressure of that. No, definitely. And, and uh, to me, I think the people who are fans of the trilogy, I mean, we've watched all the Blu-ray extras. We've read, you know, everything there is out there. That's the kind of stuff that we want to know about. What was it like letting Eric Schultz go and, and, and that whole thing? I'm very interested to read this book. June 23rd, it comes to fruition. You can get it at CassineGains.com. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be in bookstores nationwide. But before I let you go, I have to ask you one more question. For sure. 30 years... Or, or, you know, for 30 years, we've wanted a fourth film for Back to the Future. Now, I know it'll never happen. That first three is so beloved. I hope they never remake this series. But if they did make a fourth film, what time period would you like to see Doc and Marty in? <laughs> um, the first thing that popped in my head was the 70s. Only because I think um, Doc doing sort of like a Saturday night fever, a big Afro wig, an all white suit, you know, with a little like, <laughs> Lux capacitor emblem on it. I think that'd be, <laughs> for some reason, I think, I think watching uh, Doc try and fit in in the disco era might be uh, the way to go. If, if they were going to have this horrible, horrible idea to do a fourth film, that, that's what they should do. <laughs> oh man, that'd be so, that'd be amazing to see him in that get up the flux capacitor emblem i love that idea by the way i might have to steal that i might have to make that a reality <laughs> actually Cassine, i think you've given me my halloween costume for this year Cassine gates <laughs> thank you so much for joining me we're gonna have to talk more here soon because i could talk for hours about back to the future so i'd love to have you back on the show sometime after the oh, book no comes problem. out i'd love to thank you so much Cassine Gaines, everybody you can follow him on twitter at Cassine Gaines. june 23rd we don't need roads hits stores you make sure you pick you up a copy Cassine, thank you so much thank you so much i appreciate it Brad Gilmore Show On Demand is meant for entertainment purposes only and does not mean to infringe on any copyrights of Back to the Future, its characters, its audio clips, or its music. Hope to see you again 
in the future. Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save 